This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for coming this morning. Please uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. If you're here this morning, you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, if you'll raise your hands. We have some ushers that will bring you a free copy of the Bible you can take home with you today. And you can also turn to page 558 in this Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And follow along as we try to look closely at some verses here in, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians in chapters 12 through 14. So we're going to read some verses from chapter 12 and then skip over to chapter 14. Begin reading with me, follow along in chapter 12, verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Down in verse 27 of chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, Third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, turn over to chapter 14 and we'll read the first five verses. Pursue love. Chapter 13 is all about love. We looked at that last week. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. 
for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. And I think he's wanting us to take home today a desire to pursue experiences of the Spirit that build others up, that build the church up. I think he wants to stir in us an eagerness for these experiences of the Spirit. We're eager to experience God. We want to enjoy an experience of the power of the truth through the Spirit. We don't want to just know the truth. We don't want to just know the gospel. We want to experience the power of the truth, experience the power of the gospel. We're pursuing in these three messages, last Sunday, this Sunday, and next Sunday, the fellowship of the Spirit. As we turn to 1 Corinthians, remember the Bible, we believe, and it's been our experience, is self-authenticating. Because the Spirit is at work revealing this is God's Word. Remember the Da Vinci Code written by Dan Brown, sold 40 million copies or more, led to some blockbuster movies. It was supposed to be an historical novel. It promised to reveal the real truth about Christianity. It had a sensational plot, which is why it sold so many copies and made such a great movie. I didn't watch the movie, and I hate the book. <laughs> Said, among other things, that Jesus had a romantic relationship with Mary Magdalene, and she had a baby. The idea was that the Bible was put together by the church by church leaders to promote their own agendas. These leaders, according to this book, chose the books we now have in the Bible over other worthy books based on what served the interests of these leaders of the church of the day. And all of this was done hundreds of years after the time of Christ. None of this is true. That is not true. Thus, it's called a novel. The church had a functioning Bible in the first century. The church council that this book refers to in the fifth century discussed what books belonged in the New Testament because there were heretics that were writing books and they said, no, they don't belong in the Bible. 
And they just confirmed the already accepted books. If you read them, you would notice these aren't inspired. They don't belong in the canon, the rule of Scripture. The question is, though, how can we be sure? Well, we can be sure because of an experience of the Spirit. The Bible is self-authenticating. This is how the church knew these books belong in our Bible. They were inspired. The Spirit led the church. The Bible was self-authenticating then, and it's self-authenticating now. It's impossible to appreciate this or understand this if you've never experienced it. The Bible amazes me. It's a supernatural book, which explains why it is the best-selling book in all of history, and many of you don't even know what I'm talking about when I mention the Da Vinci Code. We're turning to God's Word because men wrote it who were carried along by the Spirit and the spirits at work today, confirming that, yes, indeed, this is the Word of God. So what does the Bible say about how the living God continues to operate in the church today? And this is why we're looking at Paul's letter to a first century church, local church in Greece. We want our theology of the Spirit. We want to understand what the Bible says about the work of the Spirit today. We want it to correspond with what we experience We want to think about the work of the Spirit in the context of our church. God was clearly an experienced reality among Paul's churches. And we want to trust God for this. We want manifestations of the Spirit. It's amazing to me this was not planned. that we just had a testimony about a miracle. Maybe we write that off. We shouldn't. It's an answer to prayer. When the church meets, the Spirit brings evidence. God is present. And that's what we're after. So, if you look back in chapter 12, up in verse 1, Paul begins, we looked at this last week saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, he was responding to a letter this church had written to him. They had questions about spiritual things, literally. Spiritual things, experiences inspired by the Spirit. They had questions. Who is spiritual? What reveals the work of the Spirit in a person's life, in a local church? And so Paul is responding to an issue in this local church and he's instructing them about the work of the Spirit in a meeting, just like this meeting this morning. And here are three truths we can learn from 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 about experiencing the Spirit. Number one, your experience of the Spirit will be personal and unique. Your experience of the Spirit 
will be personal and unique. Look in, beginning in verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Paul mentions varieties three times to point out that there are many spiritual expressions that, that result from the Spirit's work in our lives. He's emphasizing diversity. The Corinthians had this very narrow focus. They were fixated on the gift of speaking in tongues. They were fixated on the supernatural. They didn't understand, they didn't discern properly the Spirit's work. And so Paul is just going overboard to say the Spirit does a broad work in the midst of a local church, in the midst of members. And he wants them to see that. We're, we're celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. holiday this weekend. He was a civil rights leader, of course, who was a voice that pointed to the need for justice for people who were being oppressed in our nation. And he was killed in Tennessee by a white man. He was an African-American. People of the flesh... And that's what Paul calls the Corinthians. They don't like people that are different from them. People of the flesh. They like themselves. And they want everybody to be like them. They don't like diversity. And sometimes they go so far as to hate and murder. For the Corinthians, they were people of the flesh. And they were willing to divide the body of Christ over issues as superficial as speaking in tongues, among other things. And Paul's saying people of the Spirit are discerning and they recognize that God is infinite. And he just does this wonderful work in the body of Christ. And your experience of the Spirit is probably going to be different than mine as a result. Here in these verses, he's broadening the category of spiritual things. He's trying to make it as broad as he can. So he, he uses this word variety or distributions is, is a better translation of the word to highlight it's really what the Spirit is doing. See, he's distributing. He's doing the work. It's powerful. It's sovereign. It's his will. These gifts, verse 4, services, verse 5, activities, verse 6, three different terms. Again, trying to talk about this broad work, varieties, distributions, gifts, and that, that word emphasizes that it's free, it's, it's a gift, <laughs> it's undeserved. You don't boast about it. The Corinthians, they're, they're asking about spiritual phenomena, but Paul focuses on it's a gift. Because of the gospel, the Spirit is pouring out gifts on his church. 
It's a service, verse 5. And, and he chooses a different word here to highlight that it's not just supernatural experiences, the ones the Corinthians are so enamored with that are the work of the Spirit. It's normal acts of service and ministry in the church, like we just heard about that took place in this community group, taking care of a family that needed help. That's the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit. You know, if we're discerning, we go, that's God, active in, in the context of a local church. It's activities. Verse 6, he uses this word, Paul uses this word to remind us the Spirit is active in the church. Isn't that encouraging? And we want to see that. And then finally, in verse 7, this is the theme of the whole section, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's the theme. It captures what Paul's burden is. All this diversity comes from God, who's infinite. And by His Spirit, He gives diverse manifestations and he gives different manifestations to different people but he does it for the common good they're all focused on one gift speaking in tongues Paul says there's diversity and it it should encourage us we need one another there's an interdependence in the body of Christ. If we're going to accomplish God's purpose, it's going to take diverse people, it's going to take diverse gifts, diverse service, diverse manifestations, and the Lord loves that. It's the same Spirit, it's the same Lord, it's the same God, but it's many people. It's one body of Christ It's one God, many people, and God is active. I have, Rob McNeil's going to come now and honor one of our members, Mike Sankster. It's a powerful testimony of the grace of God in our midst. Can we welcome Rob? I'm... I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with you this morning how I see the Holy Spirit working through my friend, Mike Sangster. Mike is characterized by a quiet joy that impacts those of us who know him and are privileged to uh, interact with him. Mike has an amazing memory, and he uses it to bless others when he interacts with you, to remind you of a funny memory you had together, or to ask caring questions about your life. I think Mike has a number of spiritual gifts, including the gift of serving. Mike has a servant's heart and has served this church quietly in the background for decades. Mike's quiet service becomes most noticeable in his absence. There are a number of things that just don't get done simply because Mike is not here to do them. He has taken on things of his own initiative, whether he's scheduled to serve that Sunday or not. He comes early going through his regular routine of getting everything ready for the morning. 
Mike has served on the usher team faithfully for years. He comes in early on the weeks he is scheduled to serve and on the weeks he's not. He's often the first one to be here from his team and joyfully begins putting the Velcro straps on the doors back <laughs> of the auditorium. Getting offering baskets ready and assisting people to their seats. Mike is also a talented bass player who loves all kinds of music, but he has a particular love for funk music. <laughs> he served on the worship team for years, playing music that was definitely not written in his preferred musical style, but he did it with joy. Recently, he served at relays at times by playing with the worship team. I remember going to advance for the first time with my older boys, and there was Mike playing the bass on the worship team for a bunch of middle and high school students. There are many other ways that he has served our church over the years, some of which I've probably forgotten and some I probably knew and never knew about. But I'm so thankful for Mike and his example of someone who serves both humbly and spirit-filled. Amen. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, brother. Excellent. <clears throat> I told, I told folks we were, we were going to have the opportunity to honor Mike. I was surprised by the response. I told my wife, Sherry, and she said, oh, she was so excited. She said, I just remember when the kids were growing up, which was 100 years ago, that, and Mike was here, that uh, he would always give the kids gum. <laughs> she said, when I see him, I still ask for gum. So if you need a piece of gum this morning, <laughs> Mike is a faithful, diligent, humble servant God's used in our church for decades. And I want you to recognize it's a work of the Spirit for him to persevere. It's powerful. Spiritual gifts are gracious gifts from our generous God. They're not personal accomplishments or achievements that, that reveal we're the most spiritual. They reveal his grace. They reveal his power. And they build others up. They build up the church. All Christians are gifted by the Holy Spirit. It's the implication of what Paul is saying about diversity. Every member of the church has a gift. There are no ungifted Christians. There are no ungifted churches. It should, it should encourage us when we feel like I lack gift. It should encourage us if we think, you know, our church just doesn't have any gifts. It just doesn't mesh with 1 Corinthians. We should be encouraged. And they're all supernatural. We, we have a tendency to rank spiritual gifts like we do restaurants. We go on our favorite app or website and find out what are the best ones, but it's, it's what people of the flesh do. It's man-centered to rank spiritual gifts. Paul doesn't do that. Truly spiritual people don't do that. Paul never distinguishes between these gifts and says, well, now that one's supernatural. That one's just natural. He doesn't do that. There are gifts that are unappreciated, but there's no gift that isn't spectacular. What the Lord wants to do is draw our attention to his work in our midst. We want to honor the work of the Spirit. 
one, one point of application is, is the Spirit is powerful and it enables us to do amazing things beyond natural ability. So you may have a gift, a gift of helps, a gift of faith, a gift of compassion, a gift of administration. Others may not have your gift. So guard your heart when they aren't as administrative as you or they don't serve like you, or they don't have compassion like you. Be careful. Watch out for self-righteousness. Your gift of administration is a gift. So be nice to those of us who don't have it. (laughs) Remember, it's God's grace, and and use it to build us up. (laughs) Some may not be as compassionate as you. Be careful. Realize that that's a powerful work of the Spirit in your life. It's the grace of God. It's to give glory to God. Be careful. Look look in chapter 14. Paul is talking about the gathered church in chapter 14. So if you look down in verse 18, he says, I... I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind. And then down in verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? And in verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together? He is talking about a meeting of the church. He is correcting the Corinthians because they are abusing the gift of speaking in tongues in their meetings. Their their meetings are confusing people. Their meetings are doing more harm than good. In chapter 12, every list of the gifts, tongues is last. His his point is not that tongues are the least spiritual gift. His point is tongues are the problem. Their passion for tongues is evidence they're misusing the gift because it's for the common good. Your experience of the Spirit is going to be personal and unique. Secondly, your experience of the Spirit is going to build others up. Again, in in chapter 12, the theme is each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is why Paul says God gives the gifts. He's building other people up. And he's focused on these meetings of the church. He emphasizes two things. The Spirit's working in each life. There are no spiritual elite And then they're for the common good. The reason for all the gifts is the building up of the community. The gifts are for the building up of other people and for the church. And so in chapter 12 and verses 8 through 11, he lists all these ways in which the power of the Spirit is manifested. And he is saying to this local church, and I think we're supposed to hear today, the Spirit is present 
The Spirit is powerful. And here are some visible manifestations. He wants them to see diversity because they're, they're so focused on one gift. His main point is that whatever gifts we pursue or experience, the goal is that the church would be built up, that others would be built up. His focus is on edification. So you see repeatedly in chapter 12, seven times, he uses the word edification or upbuilding. In, in the first five verses of chapter 14 alone, he mentions five times what builds up. Building up others, building up the church, it's the purpose of the gift. So if you want to evaluate the gifts and their use, do they build others up? Do they build the church up? That's why he said in verse 1 in chapter 14, pursue love. Because building others up is how love expresses itself. In chapter 8, he said, love builds up, edifies. And so the proper use of the gift is going to build up other people. It's going to build up the church. And that's why in chapter 14, if you study it, you'll find that he's encouraging prophetic ministry in the context of a meeting. That's his point. A prophecy, it's a message that is proclaimed that is based on a divine revelation. It's more spontaneous than teaching or preaching. We often have people come to this microphone down here and share prophecies during our meeting. We try to follow Paul's instruction in these chapters. In the use of this gift, we try to, we try to judge prophecies. We try to control how many there are. We try to have it be orderly. We try to make sure the gift of prophecy builds people up. That it builds up the church. We're trying to follow Paul's instruction. If you look in chapter 14, verse 6, he says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, now remember, he's talking about a meeting of the church, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So notice that he lists four gifts besides speaking in tongues that benefit other people of revelation, knowledge, prophecy, teaching. Now, only, only gifts that can be understood by other people are going to build other people up. So through prophecy, a person can be encouraged. They can be comforted. So Kent shared this morning, and I'm, I'm sure there were some of you that were comforted by that prophetic kind of spontaneous word. Paul says prophecy has great potential. If you look down in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24 and 5, he says, if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. It's edifying the body of Christ. It's edifying even unbelievers that are in the meeting. 
And that's what he means in chapter 12, the last verse 31, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Certain gifts are better, are greater, because they have the potential to build other people up. They have the potential to build up the church. And it's, it's just an expression of love in a corporate meeting. Finally, number three, your experience of the Spirit must be eagerly pursued. Understanding the, the power of the Spirit, understanding these gifts, these activities of the Spirit, understanding that they can bring God's blessings to people and strengthen them and encourage them, that they can build up the church. We want to be eager in our pursuit of them, Paul says, in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Eagerly pursue these gifts. Several years ago, I met a graduate student for lunch on campus to talk about his future. The restaurant we were meeting at happened to be shooting a commercial that day. So everyone in the restaurant was very aware there were cameras. You know, you're trying to look good and get on TV. At one point, while my friend was eating his burger that he had ordered, he had one of those moments, you've had this, you know, where you, you think, you know, I've got something in my throat. Something's caught in my throat, I think. And, you know, he starts working at getting it out by clearing, <clears throat> clearing his throat. Didn't want to make a scene. He's trying to be inconspicuous because you got cameras for this commercial roaming around and not to mention other people kind of watching. So you're trying to keep it on the down low. But there... There came a point where I, I started watching him carefully because I thought, you know, this isn't going away. And uh, I saw in his eyes, they got wide, and there was that moment when you just, you know, he knew, I can't breathe anymore, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I can't breathe. And so he, he got up from his seat, and he didn't care who was in the restaurant. You know, he didn't care how many cameras were in the restaurant. I'm dying here, okay? <laughs> I can't breathe, nothing else matters. And he, he started doing everything biologically possible to get whatever it was in his windpipe out. He didn't care how many TV stations were in the restaurant. He had to get that out. I helped him by pounding on his back as hard as I could which I later learned just drove it further into his windpipe. <laughs> you see, now back in the old days, that's what we did. We killed our friends when they were choking. <laughs> I didn't know about the Heimlich maneuver. I still don't. You don't want to eat with me. <laughs> At this point, everybody <laughs> in the restaurant knew what was going on. My friend was standing up making lots of noise. And actually, when his air passage was finally cleared, the whole restaurant celebrated. There was a hand clap. <laughs> this is what Paul means by eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. 
This is the kind of effort he has in mind. The word means to strive. It means to seek with zeal. It means to be enthusiastic. Devoted. There's a passion for spiritual gifts. I'm, I'm exaggerating with that illustration, but there, there, is a, there is something we need to see where we see the need we have for God's activity in the local church. And we've got to pursue it. The Lord does not give the Spirit in the same way to those who seek Him and those who don't. That is the clear teaching of these chapters. There is a difference. So, so we need to know, why do we want these gifts? Why are they worthy of that kind of effort? Well, they're manifestations of God's power in our lives, and we need it. If you do not understand that God has a purpose for your life, you're going to have a hard time eagerly desiring spiritual gifts. If you don't understand that central to what God is doing in the world today is the church, not just one local church, but the church, but it includes local churches, if you don't understand that that's central to his purpose, then you're going to have a hard time being eager for spiritual gifts. But if you understand that, and you understand, look, he has chosen to use the church to accomplish his purposes, and you understand he's advancing the gospel through the church, and you understand that's what he's doing, and what a great privilege. Aren't we thankful we have a purpose and we have a mission? then you will be eager for God's activities, God's manifestations, God's gifts that he gives to his people in the context of the church for his glory. And you will make every effort every day to recognize the person of the Holy Spirit. We, we should expect to experience the Spirit. We should rely on Him every day, eagerly. What's amazing about Paul is that he has such a positive attitude towards the gift with a church that is misusing them. If you go back to chapter 1, he says, God's given you every gift. And he's thanking God. He sees evidence of grace there. It's stunning. It's instructive. He doesn't throw them out because somebody's misusing them. We don't want to just say the gifts are for today. We want to pursue them eagerly. So let's pursue experiences of the Spirit. We want to be zealous for His work. You know, the Spirit will begin with opening our eyes and our hearts to the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ died for the ungodly. He loved us and gave himself for us. And it's the Spirit 
that allows us to taste and see how good the Lord is, how merciful. Only the Spirit can do that. This is our aim. We want a supernatural experience of the love of God in our hearts that brings true and lasting joy to our lives. The Spirit lets us see the beauty and the worth of the person, the work of Jesus Christ, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, raised from the dead, sending his Spirit in our midst. The Spirit lets us see that, fills us with joy. And these gifts are abilities that allow us to advance this gospel for the glory of God. Father, my prayer this morning is that you would fill this church with your spirit. Let us be, as biblically defined, a spirit-filled church. And let us be spirit-filled people, Lord. I pray, Father, that the love of God would be poured out in our hearts. Lord, I pray that there would be many manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. Let us build up one another. Let us encourage one another. Let us comfort one another. Let us serve one another. Let us help, Lord. Stir up in our midst, Lord, an eagerness for your work. And be gracious to us, we pray, because of Christ. And it's in his name, Lord, that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.